Today's the day, according to a lot of reports yesterday, that Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred and the 30 owners will complete their process of cannibalizing the entirety of the minor league baseball system, and that includes the Pirates. I'm here to be that rare voice in the baseball community who's completely in favor of this. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this, the newly reborn DK Sports Radio podcasting network. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. I did a regular old Daily Shot show for a few months that covered all three of Pittsburgh's big league teams, and I kind of wanted all along to split them up into separate shows, and and here we are. Uh, If you are a football and or hockey fan, I hope you check out the shows that I'm doing every day on the Steelers and or Penguins. The Pirates know who their minor league affiliates will be in 2021. A week ago, Travis Williams, the Pirates team president, told Alex Stumpf of DK Pittsburgh Sports that he fully expects Indianapolis, Altoona, Bradenton, and Greensboro to be their four affiliates. They technically lost two. The short season Class A West Virginia Black Bears and uh, the rookie ball Class A Bristol Pirates. Those get put into a a different pool where they're available for players to report to right after they're drafted. So they don't risk getting buried with older minor leaguers and so forth. They're put into a, a separate class, if you will. That's always been the case, but now it'll be really, really clear that these leagues, like the one with the West Virginia Black Bears, will be where the prospects start out. It'll be their launching point. I like that. I think that's fine. Again, there's people that are up in arms about this. What about this and that? Or shouldn't they start here or start there? And everybody has a chance to see them. No. No. Baseball is a stronger, healthier game if it does right by its most promising, most talented young players. That's not why they're doing this. I'm not pretending that this is some, you know, uh, angelic act on the part of Manfred and the owners. They're looking to just make more money. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But this is a nice byproduct. I'm okay with this. The other thing that ends up happening, and this should be more obvious from the count that I gave you of those affiliates, is that you go from a player having to make six steps up the ladder to get to the majors to now just four, presuming they don't skip. I mean, there are extraordinary prospects. I'm sure that Kumar Rocker, the Pirates' presumed number one overall pick in the next draft, is going to be one of those guys who doesn't make a stop at every tour. But how many levels do you really need? And what has always made baseball so special that it needed all these different levels. You hear baseball instructors, evaluators, lifers, mostly the older guys, guys that I've spent a lot of time 
talking with, just shooting the breeze and whatever. They talk about each one of these levels the way a military person would describe adding uh, stripes or medals to a uniform. If you have passed low class A, then you are good at this, this, and this. If you have passed high class A, you got to be able to do this, this, and this. And then there's double A. Woo! Double A is this and this and this. Uh, there's a lot of that, and there's a lot of that traditionalism and everything else that goes into it. I, I, I don't get it. You know, uh, football, for all intents and purposes, has no levels. It's got college football, and yes, you do mature from freshman to senior, and best of all for the NFL, they don't have to pay a penny to have any of it operating, which is why you'll never see minor league football. But it's still the same level. It's the same level of the game. Is football somehow less complicated, less mentally challenging? I, I would dispute that. In hockey, we see ladders, but not really. Um, if you're drafted, you're, you're going to end up in all likelihood either returning to your junior team or your college team, uh, whichever the case may be or in Europe, but by the time you get to North America, you're not starting out in the ECHL. That's extremely rare that someone does that and makes it all the way to the NHL. It happens, but it's not It's not the path. The path is you sign and you go to the AHL. You spend as much time there refining what it is that you need to get to the NHL, and then you get there. It's not multiple tiers. Baseball gets so romanticized, and I don't really think that it applies here, except for one thing. I would hate to see Major League Baseball taking this action and then taking it for granted by abusing what they've done into the future, maybe even to the near future, and closing up minor league teams across the country. I could say that out of some sap and whatever for the communities that value minor league baseball, but the fact is the ones that really value it and support it aren't likely to be in much threat of losing their teams. I say this way more from the pure baseball standpoint. This sport can't afford to be shuttering stadiums of any size anywhere. I can't state that strongly enough. Whether they're pros, uh, whether they're small-time independent pros like the Washington Wild Things down in the Frontier League, they're not affiliated uh, with anyone, never have been. So they're not part of any level. It's just independent ball. It's what they call it. Anyone can play. You can't afford to be losing those any more than you can afford to be losing uh, sandlots, high school programs, uh, girls' softball programs, uh, while I'm at it, sustaining, maybe even building 
rebuilding interest in this sport, passion in this sport. I almost always talk about this in the context of bringing back the salary cap so that markets like Pittsburgh and so forth can feel more a part of the majors and everything else. But it extends way beyond that, what's happened to baseball. Participation is way down in the United States. It isn't in other countries, which is why you're seeing uh, more players come from the Far East, more players come from Latin America. But it is in the United States. And that's not a great place to be. Overall, though, I'm not... I'm not going to be one of those people who jumps on this and criticizes it just because it's not how we've always done things. You don't need six levels to make it to the majors. I don't know that you need four, but four is okay, and four is enough to keep a lot of ball fields open across our country. When we come back, hey, more baseball, right? My Hall of Fame ballot showed up in my mail a few days ago. It always does this time of year. And I don't usually take it out of the envelope right away. Like I have a little basket that sits next to my workstation at home. And it just sits there on the top. Like it's just a constant reminder. And I, I look down there and I see that Hall of Fame logo showing in the top left corner, and I just kind of have it in the back of my head. Yeah, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame. So when I run across stuff, debates on social media, you don't get influenced by stuff like that uh, all the way. If you do, you're you're just the worst voter. But you at least want to think about it. You want to consider it. And I'm not going to lie. I've had feedback that I've gotten, including from people or organizations who actively lobby for players to make the Hall of Fame, where the way they've made their case and the passion with which they've made it has at least forced me to go and consider a player that maybe I hadn't previously or I'd left off about. Larry Walker jumps to mind. I got a direct outreach from the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame in which Walker had already been inducted, and... They laid out Walker's accomplishments, most of which, of course, were in Denver at altitude, and that hurts anybody. And on that note, Todd Helton's on the ballot this year and is always part of the debate, and and should be, and should be. But there's a way to normalize those statistics. There's a way to put those performances Uh, in a light where, okay, if that player had been playing at a normal ballpark, a normal elevation, uh, this is what that player likely would have hit, or this is how that player hit on the road. Things like that. And and they did a great job with it. And I went and I looked at it, and I did some more research and remembered a story that Clint Hurdle told me about Larry Walker being the best base runner he had ever seen. Not the fastest, but the best best, the smartest, as well as having one of the strongest arms. And you know what? I ended up voting for Larry Walker. I did. I'm okay with that part of it. I don't think you can get too rigid about how you vote. Except for one thing. 
I'm sure it's just all you've been thinking about as soon as I mentioned the Hall of Fame vote. I'm not putting the steroids guys in. Not that it's singularly up to me. There's hundreds of voters. But they won't go in with any help from me. That's not me being, uh, what are those degradations we get this time of year? Uh, Baseball Hall of Fame voters are pious and high and mighty and get off your horse and all this other stuff. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. Baseball has a rule, has a guideline that's been in place for what qualifies as a Hall of Famer since 1936. Do you know what happened in 1936? That was the year of the first Hall class. You know, the one that had Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Hannes Wagner, Walter Big Train Johnson. The greatest class we'll ever see because they encompassed a half century of players. It'll never be topped. The criteria that was given to voters in 1936 has not been changed one syllable. It's something that the Baseball Writers Association of America is very proud of. And they point that out to us on our ballots every year. This is the same criteria. The character clause was not something that we invented. It wasn't something where we went, oh, you know what? That's a bad person. I'm not going to put them on my hall ballot. That's just not what happened. The character clause has always been there because baseball, more than any other sport, went out of its way to guard against nefarious characters following the 1919 Black Sox scandal in particular. Are there some garbage humans enshrined in Cooperstown? Oh, yeah. Go, go read about Babe Ruth. Read a little bit about Ty Cobb, too. Uh, these aren't angels. I don't know how differently they would have been handled in 1936 had they been in a world of, you know, Twitter and Facebook and everything else where every single move they made would have been displayed and scrutinized. But those votes were conducted then, and these votes are conducted now. I, I, I get stuff from people who say, you know, look how, look at this terrible guy from 1940. You had no problem putting him in. It's like, dude, I didn't put him in. <laughs> My mom wasn't even born then. It's fun. I'm not, I'm not making it out to be anything negative. The one concern I have about the ballot this year is that it's not good. It's not a great group. You're going to have some writers, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be or not going to be one of them, who will send back empty ballots, and that'll be a thing unto itself. How can you send a ballot back with nobody on? Look, if you don't belong, why should you get a vote? You know? Never understood that. I've heard from, even gotten a, a little bit of pressure from Older writers who've, who've told me, you know, always fill out all 10. Always fill out, you're allowed to take 10 off the list. Why would I do that? Why would I check a box next to a player that I genuinely would never want to see in Cooperstown? You know? Anyway, fun stuff. I'll, I'll have more on that as the process deepens 
Uh, the deadline to vote is is the end of this month, and the selections get announced uh, uh, roughly a month later. When we come back, just one question. At Point Park University, in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, they understand there's no substitute for real-world experience and career-building connections. Their innovative curriculum engages students with distinctive experiential learning opportunities. Point Park's pioneering co-op program empowers qualified students to work in full-time, paid positions with their corporate partners while earning college credits. Visit pointpark.edu works to learn more. Career ready. That's the point. Point Park University. Welcome back. It's time for Just One Question, and that's brought to you by North Shore Tavern, right next to Mike's Beer Bar. If you're looking for a tremendous dining experience, and I do mean experience, go check out our friends at the North Shore Tavern. It's directly across from PNC Park, and again, right next to Mike's on Federal Street. It's the home of Steak on a Stone. If you don't know what that is, that's what I'm referring to when I say experience. You enjoy your steak finished on a hot lava stone, like 800 degrees, right in front of you, where you ensure that each piece is cooked to your exact liking. Come see why everyone is talking about North Shore Tavern's steak on a stone. Today's just one question comes from John Lease, who asks, Considering how low the Pirates' payroll has been for the past 40 years, how is it possible that trading players for financial flexibility isn't just laughed at? Um, not sure where to start with this without doing some fact-checking here, John. Uh, if you go back to 2013 to 2018, the Pirates' payroll was right around the $100 million range, uh, franchise records most every year. I don't know how anyone would characterize that as low. If you want to go back over 40 years, well, I mean, I can correct you on that one too. When the Pirates won their three division titles with the Bonds, Bonilla, Van Slyke teams, 90 through 92, all three of those teams had the highest payroll in all of baseball. So, it sounds like you're just kind of taking whatever it is that you hear, you know, people say at face value and, you know, throwing it into a, a question here. I'm, I'm trying to be nice. But the same goes for the phrasing financial flexibility. It's just not something I hear them say. You know, I, I don't hear that term come out of Ben Charrington's mouth. I don't hear it come out of Travis Williams's mouth. What the Pirates are doing, these Pirates run by... Charrington, run by Williams, is setting the stage to have a legit deep farm system. That means both quality and quantity. There's very little for them to gain by spending at the Pittsburgh level now. That's just, that's just true. You know, that's not a lie. That's not pocketing it, running off to Seven Springs or whatever else. It just isn't. What Charrington and Williams are doing with money is the same thing I would do, and probably you too, 
if you gained a sharper understanding of how grossly imbalanced baseball's economics are, the only chance you have, John, to spend at the level of a World Series competitor, it's not to go to the bank for a loan and it's not to reach into your own pocket or anything. It's to make sure you're not spending at the times when you don't need it and to make sure that you have it and then don't have any excuses to not spend whenever you do. This is why I've never been more bitterly critical of Bob Nutting and the franchise's ownership than when they failed to step up after the 2015 season. I've told this story, this stance, whatever you'd want to call it, a zillion times, but they had a team that just came off 98 wins. They knew they were losing A.J. Burnett. They knew they were losing Jay Happ. And they didn't do anything to replace them. It was unconscionable. I've heard people blame that on Huntington. But to me, that's still ultimately on the owner because the owner needs to step in in that situation and say, hey, Neil, what are you doing here? Ryan Vogelsong, seriously? That's what you're doing? And it didn't happen. So what do we have to believe that it'll happen the next time? Nothing. Nothing. We don't have precedent. We just have their word. And we have the fact that these are new people in charge who left other really, really good jobs to come here based in large part on the promise that they'll be able to spend when they feel it's right. Appreciate the question. Seriously, I hope you didn't take any of that like in a, in a bad way or whatever. Just, there's so much misinformation on that subject, and it's so common, and it's so acceptable to people to say the wrong things about this that it drives me nuts. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening to this. We'll have another one tomorrow. Your front door. Your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.